Leadership is a responsibility, not a position. Welcome to Leading from the Front with Dr. Gary McGrath, where experienced leaders share their own brand of leadership to help you develop and improve your own leadership capabilities. And now, here's your host, Dr. Gary. I am Dr. Gary, making good bosses into great leaders with compassionate accountability. Thank you again for joining us on Leading from the Front, where leadership is a responsibility, not a position. Today's guest is a business leader, a career coach, a strategic advisor to businesses and IT leadership teams in digital transformation initiatives. I love that phrase, digital transformation initiatives. We're going to hear about that as it relates to teams today product management consultant providing inputs and feedback on a product roadmap. The complexity of IT sometimes really needs what is called a product roadmap or a project plan to make sure we implement effectively. As a mentor and a consultant, he helps mid-sized and startup companies with their next generation of technology and an adjunct professor at the New Jersey Institute of Technology. He was a director at Cognizant Technology Solutions and a general manager at Oracle in customer management and service delivery. Please welcome today a man who is primarily focused on incubating teams within companies to achieve remarkable results, Mr. Satish Rajamani. Good day, Mr. Satish. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Dr. Gary. Thank you very much and appreciate you inviting me for your podcast today. You're doing an awesome job in bringing amazing people in your podcast series. I'm, in fact, learning a lot from all your guests. Thank you very much and the great job done by you. Well, thanks for mentioning that, Satish. And hopefully you're one of the uh, six people that have subscribed to my podcast. I've got five brothers and you. So that gets the total. Listen, I'd like to hear a little bit more about your background and what has brought you on this path to incubating teams, to helping startups and small, mid-sized companies flourish. Give us the background with that. Sure. Thank you very much. I come from a very humble background from a family in India. My parents were, in fact, the first generation folks to even have a career in corporate or in government service. The seeds of entrepreneurship were, in fact, sown during my middle school days. In addition to the day job, my father had a passion for books and he was publishing books in India for those who are pursuing their graduate program while working. It was more like a work and learn program and it was called as a correspondence course. I used to spend my weekends and vacation helping him to promote and sell the books that he had published. I used to travel with him to different cities where in-person classes were conducted for those students who have enrolled for that program. And we were using those sessions to essentially promote our books. In the absence of computers and printers in those days, I have designed many posters manually. People say I'm good at drawing and painting. And we found wonderful success in this venture. This success, in fact, motivated me and has given me the confidence that I have some entrepreneurial skills in me. And I continue to support my father in his venture till he retired from his business. So that's my initial days, even before I moved into a college for my higher studies. Post my high school, I was actually selected for pursuing my engineering degree at a college, which was away from about 100 miles from my hometown. 
In fact, I was born and raised in a large metropolitan city called Chennai. The old name was Madras in South India. But the university where I got my admission was in a very small town or literally like a village area. If I have to bring an analogy, it was like moving from living in downtown New York City to some remote place in Midwest. Wow. It was the first major decision that I had to take in my life. It was very much in my comfort zone, in the comfort of my parents, grandparents and sister in India's third largest city. And I'm sure, you know, you can just understand how somebody would have felt if you have to move from the third largest city to a small village for the next four years of your course. Right. So it was a sure. big, big shocker for me. And I was just not comfortable to move there. But my bad luck at that point of time, I did not have a choice to pursue any other you know, course in my own city. But more than the location of the college, my parents had great faith on the founder and the chancellor of the institution, Dr. G. Vishwanathan. He is one of the you know, highly respected thought leader in India. He has reached greater heights from his humble background with a sheer dedication, focus and sincerity. So my parents were of conviction that he will not only grow his institution to a successful level, but also make his students even more successful. So that was in fact, I would say the biggest convincing point which my parents actually you know, gave on me. So it was the reason they selected that school was because of the reputation of the leader of exactly. that school, right? And You're what right. he stood for and what the organization stood for, regardless of where the location was. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, did you understand that back then? Or did you just look at this going, oh my gosh, I've got to go to this little village, leave my home and, and be a little apprehensive about all that? What were you feeling at the time? Frankly, as a teenager, I did not really look at it as an opportunity. I was just feeling that my parents are probably trying to dismiss me off from the home and wanting me to pursue something outside, <laughs> yes. right? So, but when I look back, you know, probably one of the best ever decision which I think I have made in my life. My parents, in fact, convinced me to look at this as an opportunity to grow. In fact, they gave me a lot more substantiating, you know, points to make me, you know, make that decision. It's something like, you know, instead of competing with kids all from a large metropolitan city, you are going to rub shoulders with students with diverse background, which mm -hmm. will in fact be an experience for your life. In addition, since I, this institution was in an incubation stage, they felt it's an opportunity for me to grow along with the institution. That is probably uh, the best ever decision I made in my life, Dr. Gary. Looking back on it, but you didn't feel that way at the time, did you? <laughs> yes, I didn't feel that. But, you know, once I started seeing the level of growth, the institution started happening. Sure. The level of uh, interactions I started having with the chancellor and with the professors and other students, I felt it's certainly an opportunity for me to grow along with the institution. I literally forced myself to move out of my comfort zone to join the institution. Mm -hmm. But as I told you, you know, I really want to thank all my professor and my friends. It was a great learning opportunity that has laid the foundation to whatever I am today. We had excellent opportunities. We had opportunities to volunteer and setting up the labs, the libraries, set up the hostel or the student dormitory. We initiated various student clubs. We also tried our hands in business by setting up a student's convenience store. We started inviting organizations for the career fair and whatnot. It was 
literally a fun fold learning for me and it was an opportunity for me to grow as a professional while getting friends for life today my alma mater vellore institute of technology is india's number one private university rated as an institute of excellence institute of eminence and one among the very few institutions in asia to be ranked by the qs world university rankings there is a quote small opportunities are often the beginning of great achievements and i am happy that me and my friends just sees those opportunity to be part of the great institution so you got to see at the ground level the growth of this institution and my sense is that having that experience very young with the entrepreneurship with your father and going out and doing things like that and then with the university has driven you to now you know this phrase that i talk digital transformation initiatives it's entrepreneurship it's new technology it's transformation it's new things that has led you into things with cognizant and oracle and now as a consultant so talk about that path and and how that's codified in the world of technology why did you pick technology as your area to really take your talents and apply them wonderful but uh, i did not start my career in technology you know as i graduated that was also the period when india as a country was undergoing a positive transformation mm-hmm. it had its economic liberalization policies the globalization initiatives and the growth of technology in fact books were indeed my companion again you know coming from a background of a publisher as my father so obviously books were my favorite thing and favorite pastime my first favorite book was you can win by shiv kera in which he has actually quoted winners don't do different things they do things differently while mm-hmm. many students in my college took the traditional approach of joining pretty stable established organizations i took a slightly different path I joined an automotive parts manufacturing company that was formed by three companies from United States of America, Japan and India. It was literally a startup and I was the seventh employee of that company. Though I was a trainee, I was reporting to the general manager of the organization who probably had more than 25 years of industry experience and I was not even 25 years old then. It was an amazing experience. ranging from product design identifying the location for setting up the factory to setting up the processes for manufacturing installing the machines selecting the vendors building the team what not we had great opportunities to interact with even the board members had opportunities to travel across the globe learn some new language i learned japanese in that process i could walk wow. into and learn from the factories of honda toyota ford tata motors suzuki and many more we in fact had the best of the different worlds as i mentioned japan india and us the best business practices from america japan and india we had an environment to make mistakes learn from those mistakes key here is that me and my friends just leverage the opportunities to learn and grow we just did not shy away from taking up the responsibilities quite few b- best practices from our japanese colleagues like the planning time management attention to details the fires technique or the workplace organization the lean management kaizen or continuous improvement are something which is helping me even today both professionally and personally 
in those four plus years dr gary i probably feel i got the experience one may not even get after 10 years of work i can say this experience literally gave me a jump start to my career yeah I, that's interesting because you talked about going to the university one of the things that was a big thing about going back to the university was the diversity of that university absolutely so now you're in this auto company and you're working with a diverse group of people from three different continents, three different countries, and taking the best of each culture. Exactly. You know, maybe it's the American entrepreneurship, the Japanese quality and, and focus on Kazan, and the Indian culture, and you being there in your home country, in your right. native country, and be able to meld all of those within the culture of India. Just it sounds exciting. I mean, it sounds like you had an opportunity that was just amazing. you nailed it dr carry in fact that uh, the best things of three different worlds was something you know which gave me the strongest foundation so the the interesting thing about these three cultures and bringing them together is i'm going to guess that your background opened your mind up to the possibilities of this stuff i'm going to guess there were some other people that you worked with that weren't as open minded as you were and within the organization some of them might have struggled how did you deal with the people that weren't as open to the best practices of three cultures in executing this new company in india how did you deal with that and what did you see what was your observation around that you're absolutely right you know the biggest advantage for somebody like me and my friends who were fresh out of the college where we were moldable you know it's like a fresh clay or a fresh playdough you know which is moldable to the shape you wanted to because we did not carry our baggages we came with an open mind and we were just learning what was given to us we were just you know playing around with the opportunities that has been given to us but at the same time there were few people who probably had different type of background and different experiences who came and joined in the organization and it was a bit of a struggle for them for many of them it was to unlearn the old practices and you know learn mm. some new things especially when you're bringing the best of the world from three different countries right so in yeah. that process yes we also faced some issues sometimes you know many of our ideas were not embraced by some of these people they probably would be telling hey you know i'm more experienced than me but you're not even as experienced in your age as that of my experience right so there were such instances which did happen but you know what at the end of the day it's all about value you know when you present what your idea with a value proposition to what it is good for your customers and for your organization at the end of the day you know everybody need to just you know take up the suggestion that has been given to us yes it was a learning it, it, it uh, that was actually an opportunity for us to you know learn some of the personal skills in terms of handling people with different background and different cultures it is something like one of my mentor keeps telling not all five fingers are the same right but at the same time for a hand to perform all the five fingers are equally important so that is where the team really comes into picture while we come with diverse skills we come with diverse culture each one of us bring value onto the table and that was a key learning dr gary you know though it was a struggle for some time but we were able to overcome that you know pretty easily by working along with people and delivering value at the end of the day it sounds to me also like the general manager that you talked about as your first mentor your first real mentor in this company really held people accountable to those expectations that we will look at the best we will get better we will recognize value and constantly reinforcing that with everybody on the team would that be a fair statement 
Absolutely, absolutely. He and also we had representatives from our parent organizations, both in US and in Japan, you know, they spent quite a good amount of time with us. We had opportunities to visit our parent organizations. And, you know, they were literally, you know, mentoring us, they were coaching us. And quite few of these things, you know, they would have actually faced in their home country, right? So they were very supportive. They were giving us the necessary inputs. At the end of the day, it's a joint venture organization. They wanted to make it successful. And we were all open for learning. I would say, you know, that was a key thing, which I felt, you know, we all did as part of the process and great people like my general manager and the other colleagues, other seniors who were our mentors. So let's fast forward. Instead of getting a lot of details about the rest of your career, I'd like to talk a little bit about how you use that foundational, that beginning of your learning as a business person that really opened up to understand, well, how do I get the best value out of everybody and apply that into your future, into Oracle, into what you do now to build really positive teams that are working on their digital transformations. You know, talk to me about how that transition has continued and that you just said something about, you know, being open for learning. My guess is, and I'm just going to, again, I'm going to confirm this, is it sounds like Satish is a lifelong learner, that that never stopped, that you're still doing that today. Absolutely. You are you are relevant in the market only as long as you're learning. Right. And it's a continuous changing world. And it's so dynamic in the market that we have to continuously learn. Otherwise, we become obsolete in the world. So how have you used that foundational stuff in the beginning to drive your career through Oracle and take it into a huge company where uh, unless you're with, were you the CEO of Oracle? No. no. Okay. So <laughs> I, 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 I was. <laughs> <laughs> certainly. So you're in this huge organization, worldwide organization with all this experience, and everything. How did you use that from the beginning from this auto company and take that into Oracle and, and apply it to your leadership? Wonderful. Thanks, Dr. Gary, for asking me this. The next decade of my career was even more rewarding. That was a time Oracle Corporation, which was the world's second largest software company, was setting up their India Development Center. I don't know from where they got my contact. One fine day, I was called for an interview. Being a mechanical engineer, I was literally zero on my IT skills. I did not do any coding, nor I was keen in picking up the computer skills. I was just wondering what I will even do if I join Oracle. I still went ahead because that was an opportunity to go to one, a different city. You can actually spend a couple of uh, days in a different city in somebody else's dime. So I just went ahead, attended the interview. I had about six rounds of interview. And you will not believe I was not tested anything on the computer skills. I was tested purely on my functional skills of manufacturing, supply chain, planning, among others. After some rigorous interview process, I was selected by Oracle. And it was a significant jump in terms of my salary. So especially, you know, when you're in the early 20s, that will be the biggest motivator, right? The salary was indeed the biggest motivator, but it was also an eye opener for me. Our experience in one industry can be leveraged in other industry. Just because I'm a mechanical engineer does not mean I need to continue to be a mechanical engineer but I saw a company like Oracle trying to leverage my experience in the mechanical industry or manufacturing industry into the software industry. I understood that those who code need input from functional team like me. And it is the collaboration between the IT and the business that really helps them to build 
some of the world's best software application. It was a great journey at Oracle learning technical, functional, customer management and people management skills. I slowly grew into the roles of managing teams. Mm. Oracle, in fact, supported me to complete my graduate program at an institute called Bitspilani, which was another leading institution in India. And in few years from then, Oracle started acquiring different companies globally, like PeopleSoft, Siebel, Retech, amongst others. Mm-hmm. This actually created newer opportunities for people like me to grow. I went ahead. I started you know, picking up some opportunities to incubate, develop, and grow several teams of excellence. And today, these are all contributing pretty significantly to the success of our global culture. In fact, that was also the period there during my tenure at Oracle that we faced some tough economic situations. One was due to 9-11 and the other one was due to 2008 recession. But those were the time our team focused a lot on innovation, skills upliftment, cross-skilling, working on filling the gaps in our capabilities and whatnot. We in fact emerged much more stronger every time and I had a great post-recovery of all these tough economic situations. Well, it's interesting, though, and I don't want to highlight this because I don't want in the conversation for people to miss the point that Oracle was out looking for someone that was not a coder, that was not a software developer. And that's just another form of diversity to look at engineering or other aspects of skills and value that can be brought to the table to kind of round out all the things that are needed. So it's not just a bunch of coders sitting in a dark room, right? And that's impressive. I mean, that they were looking to do that, to expand, to expand into India, to expand in other countries, other cultures. And that's what makes successful companies. You know, I worked for Procter & Gamble and they were very ahead of their time. When I was in manufacturing in the 80s, 45% of the manufacturing people in Green Bay, Wisconsin were women. Wow, that's impressive. And I just met a PNG person about three weeks ago. She has started her own startup venture and she had been with PNG for 10 years as an engineer. And I said to her, tell me about the culture. And I have to tell you, here it is many decades later and the way she described it's exactly the same. They set the boundaries and they let you go and they hire smart people. And sounds like Oracle was the same kind of thing. They hire smart people. They get a lot of diversity and they teach skills. That's the biggest thing at P&G. They teach you people, leadership and management skills, the technical skills, learning how to code and everything. You can figure that out. And in fact, you don't even have to figure it out because Satish, you should have people doing that for you. Right. Very true. true. That's, That's what ultimately happened. Right. So you're right. You're right. Yeah. So I want to kind of wrap up here, though, with some consistent threads as you talk about your career and what you're doing now to help other organizations. You know, you've taken this path of going to a different school and then going to a big company and really experiencing some great leaders and diversity and an approach to where you do things that's significant that makes Satish who you are today. How do you use that now to help small and medium companies? Yes. In fact, even uh, before I jump into that, one of the things which I learned from some of the finest managers and team members at Oracle was to acquire cross-functional multidisciplinary skills. Uh This was something, you know, one thing 
that was reinforced day in and day out in my role at Oracle was customer first and customer satisfaction. We would have heard this quote that make every interaction count, even the small ones, they are all relevant. I in fact learned on how to show value to my customers and how to create a positive experience. It helped me to strive to exceed customer expectation every single time. You know, in fact, Oracle taught me a lot of life skills that an entrepreneur requires, like always be curious, learn continuously, add value to your customer. In fact, mm -hmm. Oracle is indeed a great place for one to work, and it has also helped me with a good work-life balance. In fact, one of my mentor keeps advocating this fact that we all need to plan our career and not just, you know, look at job searching. My role at Oracle was a perfect example of how to translate your skills from one industry to another, which is key in career planning. I always had a passion for teaching. I engaged a coach, and what I used to do is I used to spend my evenings and weekends as an adjunct professor in some of the leading business schools in India. I was teaching information system for their MBA students, and I also started teaching at my own alma mater, which then had grown to the status of a university. My family really supported me because it was more like a compromise from them on their personal time. But my wife and my parents realized the need for building an alternate career that is in line with one's passion. And that's something, you know, that's I'm really, really proud of, you know, making that decision. You know, the students are all doing great now. You know, they, I have great friends who are once my students. They are highly successful in their corporate roles as entrepreneurs. They are an academic. And I'm sure you will agree with me, Dr. Gary. As a teacher, we derive a great sense of accomplishment when you see your students achieve higher pedestals of life. What else do you think, you know, a teacher like you and me needs? Yeah, I stopped doing adjunct professorship work almost 10 years ago, and I'm still in touch with my students. Wow, that's great. That's great as I've built my business. I want to challenge you on something though, because you talked about, you know, putting the customer first. And I, I agree with putting the customer first, but the customer doesn't come first. It's the employees that come first. And if you have a strong team, you don't, you know, almost happens automatically a lot of times where you take care of each other and you support each other. But I, I, I make this statement because I want to highlight the fact that anybody that thinks that the customer should always come first or that the customer is always right, the customer is not always right. In fact, it is our responsibility sometimes as consultants, you and I and the work that we do now to point out when the customer is wrong. Correct. And be able to stand up for that. Because as consultants, I've often said that I have the opportunity every day to get fired. If you don't want to listen to me, you've hired me and, and paid right. me to add great value, then this is one of my opportunities to add great value. Sorry to say this, but I think that what you're doing is going in the wrong direction, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, that brings in to a pretty interesting topic on my stint post-Oracle. I joined the Indian operations of Cognizant, which is a New Jersey headquartered leading IT professional organization. I was, in fact, recruited to incubate a new practice. It was, in fact, the first of its kind in the industry. I was asked to set up a team that would take care of ERP testing needs of our customers. You know, traditionally, what happens is the ERP practice and testing practice are two different entities within the organization. And the idea of this unique model was to develop a unique offering 
bring the best of the two worlds of testing and ERP at the same time adding something, you know, a unique value proposition to our customers. So hold on a second. So our listeners know what an ERP is. It's the enterprise resource planning, yeah. which is in technology terms, the largest software application. And it's many, many applications all connected within a large organization. And with worldwide organizations today, SAP and Oracle are really the only ones left. So they implement ERP, enterprise resource planning programs. So go ahead. Thank you, Dr. Gary. The objective was to foster internal collaboration, and it was supposed to position us better than any of our competitors and in the process increase the market share. It was indeed a great opportunity that I took it up. But as you know, anything that is new in a larger organization, you know, comes with its own challenge, right? And being a new internal joint venture, it was more of a cost and the revenue split between two larger teams. They were complete alignment at the leadership level. But it did take a good amount of time and effort to bring that synergy at the operational level of the teams. Because at the end of the day, it had direct impacts on the KPIs of the folks who were involved. So one of the key learning which I have taken for my life is whenever you're trying to position your team with various stakeholders and get their buy-in, you obviously need to tweak, you need to make the necessary adjustments to the key performance indices for which you know they are going to be measured on. We were recruiting globally to grow our team. We had our own challenges in bringing the team members on board. It was actually post the 2008 recession, the market was really booming. There was a huge gap in the demand and supply. And whomsoever we were trying to recruit, most of the candidates were preferring to be part of the larger parent organization rather than joining my team. It was internally like a candidate choosing a Fortune 500 company and a startup company. Not everybody prefers to be part of the startup, right? So the challenge was in the form of, you know, competing internally, even to get the right folks to my team. A delay of every single day to onboard the team was something like an opportunity lost to serve our customers. But I really need to place on record on how my initial team went above and beyond doing their day job and at the same time helping me to build our teams. I owe everything to my team. We started seeing a you know, lot of early wins. These wins started getting the attention of our competitors. And these competitors also started seeing the value of the model which we have proposed. And they started developing similar offering. Let me stop you for a second because you've said a couple of things that are really important that I think we need to dig into just a little bit because KPIs, which are key performance indicators, and understand that a KPI might be a goal or it might be something that gives you an indication of progress towards a goal. And it has actually in the seven steps of intentional leadership in my book on a CEO's journey, step seven is on execution and KPIs is one of the components. And I go back to Michael LaBeouf's greatest principle in the world, what gets measured gets done. And that's what KPIs allow us to do. But what you're talking about is to have agreement within these disparate teams and tie into the bigger companies' overall goals that align the KPIs across these cross-functional teams. That's what I'm hearing you say. How did you do that? How did you go about that alignment process? Because that's where the real key to the leadership is. Because people argue over the KPIs, right? Oh, no, we don't want to use that KPI. We want to use this one. And there's, now let the arguments begin. So how did you get that alignment to occur? 
Yes. In fact, some of these, you know, talks like, you know, the need for collaboration is often mentioned at around 30,000 feet level, right? It requires a lot of activities to operationalize the need for collaboration. And for that to happen, it involved a quite a good amount of, you know, changes to the KPIs and to the rewards and recognition system. It was not just, you know, something which we can talk in the management level or in the conference room. But at the end of the day, one important thing is as an individual, each one of us will be interested to get an answer for this particular question, you know, like what is in store for me, right? Unless and until I'm convinced that I'm going to get some benefit in doing something, which, you know, somebody else is asking me to do, I will not be putting forth my wholehearted effort to get that done. That was something which we found that tweaking of these KPIs, modifying the rewards and recognition system to foster that collaboration was something the need of the R if we really wanted to bring in that collaboration. In reality, I believe fostering collaboration involves a lot of change management activities, and that is exactly which we did to foster the innovation. Yeah, so that's interesting. So you've got the higher level goals, but what I heard you say was, People want to answer the question, how am I being measured? Exactly. What am I being held accountable for? And I'm going to go to that old cliche, everybody's favorite radio station, WIFM. What's in it for me? So if I'm going to get measured, if I want to really put extra effort into it, not just my mind and my hands, but my heart, then I need to know the why. And then how do I contribute? What value do I have to the organization? Because if I don't feel like I'm valuable, then I'm not going to put in the extra effort. Correct. You're absolutely right, Dr. Gary. In fact, as Dr. Stephen Covey mentions in his book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, we just started focusing on the things that are under our control. But till that time, you know, we were just focusing on every single parameter, irrespective of whether it was under control or not. We started approaching both business development and customer management in a slightly different way. We started challenging ourselves and we refined the business model. My team did all in its best of their ability to turn these challenges into opportunities. So in that process, what happened was we started seeing wonderful responses from our clients in North America. I know over a period of time, it became a business imperative that since a lot of my clients were in North America, I had to move from India to our headquarters in New Jersey. This was yet another major decision that I had to take in my personal life. The first was moving from the metropolitan city to a place where I studied. And the second major decision was to move from India to United States of America. That's a big decision. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I want to ask the one question that I often ask in this program. If you could write yourself a letter, Satish, and send it back to a young Satish in your 20s and say, this is what I would like you to focus on. This is what I would like to give the wisdom of an older man, an older Satish now. If you could do that, what would you have told yourself? Okay, the first thing is change is the only constant in life. And we need to make every sincere effort to embrace the change because these change is not just for your individual scope, but it's also for the growth of people around you. So that's one of the key things which I would like to you know, bring in. The other aspect is you know, the famous quote by Robert Collier, as fast as each opportunity presents itself, use it. No matter how tiny an opportunity it may be, use it. So it's all about you know, leveraging the opportunity. You know, opportunity knocks at your door, Try to leverage the opportunity, however small it is, 
And that's really going to help you out. And that's what even Japanese talks about in continuous improvement, right? A smaller accomplishment when improved, smaller improvements which you make on top of that becomes a big achievement. Yes. Pay attention to the Kaizen, the baby steps that we can make every day to really make up our life. That's really what it is. Exactly. So is there a way to get a hold of you or people need your help or to talk? What, what are you doing for companies now? Are you a full-time consultant working on your own? You're working for another company? What's the deal? I, I, don't, I didn't even find out where you work, Satish. Okay, great. I also did a course in Harvard Business School, thanks to Cognizant, which sponsored my course. That, in fact, activated my desire to start something on my own. So I quit Cognizant. And then, you know, started advisory services organization on my own. My friend usually says there is a gap in the market and there is a market in the gap. With my experience, I found that many small and medium businesses needed a third eye view and additional support for their key IT initiative. Mm. So what we did was we started providing advisory services to the CXOs, helping them in their readiness to cloud migration with our services. And we started also positioning various innovative products that we are supporting from our partners. More than ever, in fact, today, the small and medium businesses are also requiring additional help. So what we are doing is we are coaching them in their path for recovery, guiding them to emerge more stronger. This is also the time for them to look at the rear view mirror, assess the current status and plan for fast tracking their progress. And that's what we are doing. How can they find you, Satish? And we'll put this in the podcast notes for people to find. How can people contact you? Yeah, they can connect me on LinkedIn or I'll share my email ID with you and, you know, they can reach out to me with an email. That's great. That's great. I believe in the statement when unemployment increases, self-employment increases. This is also the time for the birth of several new companies. As you know, Dr. Gary, most of the successful organizations were incubated during the tough economic situations. In fact, many in our network are also reaching out to us to explore opportunities to start their own venture. And we are extending our support. We are, we are doing coaching and mentoring for those aspiring entrepreneurs who want to be on their own. So for startups as well, that's yes, great. You're right. And with your background, when you talk about you know, working with these different cultures and the diversity in areas of automotive and IT. But I think that your leadership capabilities, your ability to really put plans together could probably help just about any organization out just because of your experience in business, both small and large. So I want to thank you so much for being our guest today, Satish. Appreciate it. Thank you. I hope there are some key takeaways from my discussions with you, Dr. Gary. I'm in this tough time. Every day I wake up being grateful to whatever I have. Feeling grateful to God, my parents, friends, family, and well wishes like you all. I just pray, oh God, let me be a blessing and let me be blessed. I appreciate Dr. Gary for this wonderful opportunity. Thank you very much. Thank you, Satish. I'm Dr. Gary, making good bosses into great leaders with compassionate accountability. And this has been another session of Leading from the Front with Satish Rajamani who we've learned a lot today about a career and a growth through curiosity, creativity, and diversity. I've loved it. Thank you so much. And please remember to subscribe. Thanks for being with us on Leading from the Front with Dr. Gary McGrath. 
Remember to subscribe to this podcast on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about the work Dr. Gary is doing, visit statarius.com. S-T-A-T-A-R-I-U-S dot com. Music for Leading from the Front is provided by Peter Katz. For more of his music, visit peterkatz.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.